Hi, this is Marisha Trambetska, and this week's podcast interview is with Lynn Ruth Smith. She started stand-up at 71 and cabaret at 73, and now 80 is doing a couple of weeks at the Soho Theatre. I've known her for many years, uh, and she's just always had this spark of life and energy. With comments like these... My mantra is that I'm no different than anyone else. I just don't say no to life, but I don't have a special talent. Any talent that I have, I've developed. I've developed. It didn't start out as a talent. It started out as an interest. And I just kept doing it uh, until it became uh, an ability. I took a class in, in stand-up comedy purely by accident. And for the final exam, uh, I did a thing about mammograms. Mm-hmm. And the audience just cheered. And, they, and I thought, my God, I've never been loved like this in my entire life. This is, this is the most beautiful kind of love there is. I mean, how old were you then? 71, 71. It's, it's gorgeous. You don't have to cook them dinner. You don't have to change the sheets. And they love you. And, and you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to do anything more. I have seen the show, and I've seen her show a few times now over the years, and it's really developed because she's both doing her classic kind of comedy and her, the way she sings with this great new pianist, but also, as she says in the interview, she's had some advice, and you can see also she's using her life experience of living at eighty and and many more years to, to go, we hope yet, to really give some advice to the audience. So it's a real sense of connection with the audience. And certainly the night where I went... Uh, she was probably the oldest person in the room by a long way but actually even people in their early 20s were going oh yes because she can really talk about living and being creative because that's what she does amazing woman so i hope you enjoy this and i hope you're inspired hi this is marisha for love your creativity and today's podcast interview is an unexpected surprise for me and you as well because i've got lynn ruth miller here say hello lynn ruth hello it's lovely to be here and thank you so much it's so kind of you (laughs) Now, I first met Lynn Ruth back in 2007 at Edinburgh Fringe, where I was doing my own show, as you were, and I was running the Midnight Cabaret, That's right. and of course you were my, as I said, you were my favourite guest, oh. uh, and it was because you were doing this incredible thing you used to call, I don't know, Granny Cabaret or something, mm-hmm. just, just fantastic, and, uh, and now you've got a residency at the Soho Theatre in London tonight. Just not residency, a two-week run, two, uh, but still very because nice. I, I won the Toast Award, um, at the Edinburgh Festival, uh, which is for the best cabaret in the festival, and the judges were Time Out, and the artistic director, and the director of the Soho Theatre, and that's Toast Award, T, Time Out, and Soho. Oh right, right. Theater. But of course, the last time I saw you was when we were both doing a show back in Brighton, Brighton. Festival. So, you, but what you. What was I do? I was doing Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's, cha-cha-cha. Yes, which I loved, which was super cute. And I, I was doing cooking and cabaret with my friend. Uh, right, right. This, but I've been acting and straight singing, and you've gone from strength to strength. So, because it's about love your creativity, how have you always been creative? Is this you? Because you didn't start doing cabaret until you were, what, 70? 73. Yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, what is it? I didn't want to peak too soon. No. <laughs> uh, I started comedy when I was 71. No. I was a teacher. I have a degree in education, several degrees in education. And I believe that creative children, you can spot them right away. They never really understand the rules. 
they're not necessarily naughty, although very often you think creative children will be labeled as naughty children, difficult to control, is that they don't really get the rules. And I can still remember when I was, I was like four, and I was digging in the garden because I was living in Toledo, Ohio, and I came running into the house and I said, I've discovered the cause of weeds. My mother looked at this little girl covered with dirt and thinking, how will I ever clean her up? And so my mother said, okay, what is it? And I said, tree bark. <laughs> but I had just come to that conclusion. Um, I've always seen a different answer to an ordinary question. That's creative people. That has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has to do with this vision you have of reality. And mine has always been just a little different than the person sitting next to me. Very alarming to my parents because my parents were um, Jewish at a time, uh, if you remember the Holocaust, mm -hmm. uh, when it was not too popular to be Jewish and their, most, their goal in life was to blend in to the rest of society. Uh, this was no different for Italians and for uh, the Irish and for Spanish and for French. When you came to America, you tried to blend in. And of course, I never blended very well. <laughs> because I, it's just things like, um, like my heritage had absolutely no importance to me at all. Uh, I've never wanted to go back to Romania and Poland. I've never really I'm more interested in now and where it can take me. And I've always been that way. And I've always written. And when you write, what you're doing is you're looking at the world around you and you're redefining it in your own words. And I have done that. I got my first poem published when I was 10. So I was writing from the time I was six or seven, just writing little things. Right. I, I'm not consciously poetry, little things, writing. Uh, the poem that was published was about a lamppost. <laughs> um, always writing. Always, and, and always surprised that other people thought it was unusual or different or special. I just thought everybody did that. I, I also, um, I love words, so my creativity has to do with words. I'm not a scientist. I'm not, and... Uh, I learned how to read when I was, I was two, I was two. So when I went to school, I could never understand why people were having trouble, but I couldn't pronounce one single word. I couldn't pronounce any of it. I knew what it meant because I could read and I understood its meaning, but I didn't understand how to pronounce it because of the spelling. I would come up with, I would, I would sound it out with the way it was spelled so that I ended up with with hard G's instead of yeah, soft yeah. G's and, and society was socially, don't ask me. This is the thing I, I would do, but I read and I remember never understanding why other people couldn't do the same thing. Um, and I would always, through school, I would just come up with a different conclusion all the time and I always felt it was a very bad thing because in my family you were supposed to come up with the accepted conclusion. Yes. I think there's a lot of that in this country as well. Yes, yes. Um, and I, but I didn't do it deliberately, and very often people thought I did. They thought, you're just being deliberately counter contrary. And I just, I couldn't read, I couldn't read uh, the conformist mind. 
and I'll never forget this is years later. Uh, I was never aware that I was different from others. I felt I was just bad. I felt that I was wrong. And I remember um, when, and, and it, was, it was a long time, my sister was married. My sister called me up, and she's eight years younger and very good at um, conforming. Uh, and she called me up and she said, I'll invite you to my, I'll invite you to my party, which I didn't want to go to anyway. I'll invite you to my party if you don't do what you do. <laughs> I said, what do I do? I, I, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not aware of it and I'm still not aware of it. We were just talking upstairs. Mm -hmm. I was walking down the street and something I did attracted this woman and she followed us for, oh, for, for, it must have been almost a mile. And then at the end, she just said, you're just such a lovely lady. And she gave me a hug. And a, well, I thought that when I met you back in 07. <laughs> I was hiring six different acts a night for Edinburgh, you know, for the midnight show. And, and you right. were my favorite. There was something oh. about you. And how old were you then? 73? 74. Yeah, no, it was like, I'd fallen in love with, with your... <laughs> still, Little old lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, this woman just did the, the same it's thing. The free, it's the freedom in you. It's the fact that I think as creators, we like to be free. And it's really oh. nice to see us as... Whatever age we are, people allowing that to happen. Because I know I'm at that point where every choice I make, I, I move away from conformity. If I get stuck in it, I have to move away. And then you have the other thing is you're, you're singing songs someone else has written. You're doing a play or you're becoming a person that somebody else has defined. Yeah. And then you're interpreting it and your director looks and says, no, you've got it wrong. Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe there is no such thing as right and wrong. Maybe it's the way you see that character, and the director is seeing it a different way. Yeah, I heard someone say recently, actors, their drug is performance. A director's drug is directing, because yes. they they like to pull the pop, they like to pull the, the control. Pop. It's a control yes. thing. But of course, and the, but the truth is, I've. I've kind of enjoyed more and more collaborative work, mm. but then of course you always want to get back to doing as you've done and I've done. I'm terrible at collaborative work, just terrible. But you've been working very well with your pianist, Robin. Right? That's different. We're, we're we've got the same goal, and I gave him three of those songs he composed. Mm -hmm. But what he does with the music is his business. Yes. But he. He enhances every single thing I do. We were talking about that, too. You've seen me in Edinburgh, mm -hmm. and you've seen me in Brighton, and I always have a CD, and that limits me, too. He follows me. Yeah, it's, yeah having a, li a, a real live human on. <laughs> oh, my God. And I've had other pianists that don't. That it's, it's all right. I mean, I do better. Yeah. But he makes me a performer. He's well, absolutely. No, I think what it is is he allows you to perform and allows you to have a very safe space so that if you want to back off or move or change. Well, we did a show on, uh, let's see, we opened on Tuesday, on Wednesday, went through the show and I thought, gee, that was great. And it was seamless. I had left out a song. But you never would have known it because he just came right in on the queue. And then afterwards he said to me, do you know you left out a song? I said, no. <laughs> no. Um, and the other thing is that I'm very... Um, this is why I love the festival. I really believe in the importance of the arts. Mm -hmm. I believe it's the only place where you see the truth. I believe that the only political statement that means something is something you see on stage. Uh, there, were, there was a beautiful play 
and I forget the name, the title, and anybody that listens to me describe it will know it. It's something like uh, To You With Love or something. It's something so unrelated to what it's about. It's about two uh, people being uh, imprisoned in Iran, uh, and they're chained, and the two of them are, are talking. And it's just, it's like my dinner with Andre. It's just two men talking. And it's absolutely amazingly wonderful how how the human spirit can't be contained in a cell where you're chained to a wall. Um, and I've seen it interpreted in a couple different ways, and my favorite person is a guy named Remy Sandry who played it. It's just exquisite. Um, when you see something like um, uh, Glass Menagerie, mm -hmm. uh, every time I've seen that played, uh, the mother has always been such a complete bitch, I think, oh my God, I'm going to shoot her before she gets off the stage. And then I saw a woman play it who really understood that character. And it was I was so sympathetic, and I just really understood her fears and her, her fear for this daughter who's crippled and wanting to protect her and not wanting her and wanting to have enough money uh, to pay for the things that she needs for Laura. And, and it was just exquisite. That's the art of acting. But if a director doesn't let you do it, if a director doesn't see that vision, you've seen um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, not oh. the movie, the play. Yeah, I've read the play a few times. Beautiful. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. I've read you it. You have to see it. And I've had a go at a few There moments. will be, I saw one time where George was, just broke my heart. You realize what he's doing, he's yes. protecting her the whole way. It sounds like they're just eating each other up alive. It's just it's absolutely exquisite. And this last time I saw it, it's a man named Christian Phillips, and he should be on Broadway, and he'll never be discovered because he doesn't make the effort. That's the other thing. Okay, the talk to me. Talk the effort. <laughs> if he doesn't make the effort, because it's more important to him, as it is with all creative people, to do the part than to sell it. So he doesn't sell himself. He, that's why for years and years and years, and I still do it uh, to a greater extent than I should, I do free gigs. Because it's more important to me to do the gigs than, than to get paid for them. I'm beginning to realize that if I don't get paid a little bit, I can't afford to get there. That's what's happening. Otherwise, I would still do them for nothing. Yes. Uh, Robert and I were talking, the, the pianist, because we both paint. And I have, uh, I just lost my house. And someone said to me, what are you going to, I have about 500 frame paintings. I've been painting for years. And I've been selling as well. And they said, what are you going to do with the paintings? And what they didn't get is those paintings don't mean a thing to me. What means everything to me is doing the painting. Yes. What means everything to an actress is doing the part and getting into it and realizing who that character is and not being stifled by a short-sighted director who's never been on stage and doesn't know what it is. You have to learn. You have to love your character. If you played Hitler, you got to love him. You have to know there was something in him that wasn't working right, and you've got to make it work wrong inside you. He was also a foul creative. Pardon? Very creative. But, but didn't get into art school, no, no, no. didn't get into architecture school. And um, you see, you mustn't do that to creative people. You simply must not. When I taught school, this was the thing that I was, I, I felt that I was being such a good teacher, and it turned out I really wasn't, because I, I believe a teacher has to prepare the children for the life that they're going to meet. You can't just say, in my class, 
if you don't if you can't add two and two that's okay because you can do something else which is what i always said to them then they go into the next grade and they find out they didn't add two and two they failed so i but i always felt that the most important thing was to tap into each child's little creative spark and make it shine and how have you kept your creative spark shining and flaring up and i've thought about this a lot i've thought about i thought why didn't i just stop I can't explain it to you, but it's an excitement. I wake, it's an excitement, and I still have it. I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, oh what I'm going to do? I mean, today I walked from, from uh, Stockwell to Clatton Common with a schnoodle, and I, and I sketched, and it was just a beautiful day, and I was, and I actually made something that looked a little like, because well, I'm a lousy sketcher, I'm a good painter, but I'm, yeah. I'm a lousy both sketcher yeah. and painter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very different. And uh, because the paint, you can smush around. And, uh, I would care. And, and, uh, and then we came back here, and then I went and got something to eat, and it was something I liked. Ooh, and I'm just all excited about it. And other people don't get that excited. I know. I, there was a point, I was on the set yesterday doing a film, and I was just... And I changed my agent over, and then I, I was just so happy. I was sitting outside in the sunshine with a film crew with my fake husband and my fake daughter. And <laughs> I, I just thought, you know... And it doesn't get better than this. It's just, yeah, it's just, and then, you know, running off to do some rehearsals tonight, and it's just glorious. Yeah, and you say it doesn't get much better than this, yeah. but tomorrow it will. Yeah. That's the point. But also, you never, you never quite get there. There's always a carrot oh, no, of no, hope no. And, and this... I think that has to do it with it too, and that's why I love comedy. Uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I have much more to do, and I'm 80, and I'm not sure how long my mind is going to keep kicking, kicking in, but I know that I'm going to use it until it doesn't. Uh, I also... I, one of the things that I think is very interesting is, is um, because I ask myself, why do you keep doing this? Uh, a year and a half ago, in between when, when we couldn't get together, and then mm -hmm. I think it was right before then, I broke my foot, and I couldn't walk. And the doctor told me I would never walk again, and I knew he was wrong. I was 78, and uh, he said, you'll never walk again, a woman your age. And... Um, I was, I said, you know, I said, you're out of your mind. I'm walking, and I want a different doctor because I want someone that believes I can walk. But what I'm trying to say is, during that time, I never stopped doing comedy. And I can still remember coming home, and I couldn't stand up. You have to, all of you who are listening, try it. I was on one foot, and I didn't have crutches. I was too weak. To, I'm not strong enough to do crutches. I had a little knee scooter. But <laughs> you, you uh, getting to the, to the toilet was a project. And um, and I remember sitting in this chair, and it was before I had learned to master the knee scooter. And I said, well, you've got six weeks before this thing gets better. Of course, they told me never, but six weeks. Are you going to sit here and just think about your foot, or are you going to keep doing what you're doing? And I said back to myself, you don't do comedy with your foot. You do it with your head. <laughs> I love it. And I called... Uh, the man that was supposed to substitute for me because I was hosting a show and I said would you mind picking me up and of course he didn't know that I meant picking me up yeah 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 <laughs> and he carried me into the car and he took me to the thing and I did sit down comedy and I did it for the entire six weeks I did it several nights a week and in that time 
I I didn't I didn't ask for pay ever. I just knew that my road to getting better was to get those gigs. Yes. Get your, head, get your head in the game, you know, if your foot is not, not leave the game. Yeah. No, I guess that's just really interesting. Because also, the law, certainly since I've known you in what, for this about seventh year, I've known you, then you have kept in the game. You've been coming over mm -hmm. the last few years, haven't you, from England? Because mm -hmm. where are you based that in? That year, I'm San Francisco. Right. That year, I didn't come over. Yeah, of course. But generally, though, apart from that, you've been coming over the been here, But I had been here up until... I think February, oh, until March. I had been here. We tried to get together during yeah. that time. That was when I was on Britain's Got Talent. It was that year. I, I think that. that was the year. I'll, have, I'll have to look it up and see if there's any YouTube of it. Oh, yeah, there's plenty show. of YouTubes okay. of Britain on Britain's Got Talent. I didn't make it. I kept wondering. And, uh, an agent found me, and I kept thinking to myself, don't you have enough talent in Britain? But I think what they like is how different. Well, they thought I was. I and think you are. I know you are. But Simon Cowell didn't. Oh, well. No, well. Simon Cowell. But I need to tell you, and I'm glad I've got it where, where someone can hear me. His criticism of what I did was absolutely spot on. My humor is about being old. And you can predict where it's going. Um, and, of course, I picked... The most predictable stuff, because America's, uh, Britain's Got Talent is, is, is to a very wide audience. Yes. And the wider uh, your audience, and by that I mean the different spectrum, mm -hmm. uh, the more generic your jokes have yes. to be. So I didn't want to get anything too specific or too, that you had to think too hard. So you only have 90 seconds. So yeah. I picked the most obvious, when you're old, mm -hmm. this happens, which is funny. Oh, no, I know. I was saying to Robert upstairs. I remember. I still remember. I won't ruin it for the podcast. I still remember all your original jokes, which I repeated to Robert upstairs, and he went, "Yeah, yeah, she still uses." Yeah, she still uses because it's a classic. It's <laughs> great jokes and <laughs> gold ones. Yeah, I, I uh, my my latest is I'm on my I'm 80 and I'm on my third car because I can't remember where I parked the other two. <laughs> uh, this is. Uh, I'm looking. Well, I'm seeing the show tonight. I've got to run away from rehearsal and come back, but I'm looking forward to no, I'm seeing thrilled. what songs you're going to be doing. So uh, you heard two of them. You heard because okay. this this program, this okay. thing was put together by Bill Smith, who's uh, who's doing the latest TV, which is a. You know what this is? I do not because we don't have it in our country. It's it's a TV station that is a franchise for Brighton. Oh, okay. To, we okay. call it public access TV, and you're not allowed to have ads. This one can have ads. Right. And there's one in London called London Live. Okay, right. Okay? And it, usually there's a lot of money behind at this time. For this one, there isn't. And he has always had that fascination with me that I think you have. He said, this is different, and this is good. Mm. A lot of people are different. There's, I, I don't want to say a name, but there's a young man who's extremely different, and he's made the newspapers a lot in Brighton because he's so different, but he's not particularly talented or good. Yeah. He doesn't have a craft. He hasn't worked at it. That's something else. When I started out as a comedian, I was different. I was, I was a young chick of 71, and that in itself is different, but I still wasn't polished. I still hadn't learned about the rhythm of the speech, about how important it is not to reverse your words, that it goes one way, it's funny, the other way, it's not. 
and you will probably, when you come here, I'm sure every night there's always one joke where I reverse the words. That's not funny anymore. It just it happens, or I'll cut out a build of uh, um, the build up to it, and it's not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. And inside, and what I'm doing because when you do comedy, which is why I love it, you're on three levels: this talk you hear, the mind that's saying what comes next, and the mind that's saying, "Uh oh, that didn't work. You got to shift to a different subject." So this is immensely challenging. Too many comedians don't do that. They don't listen to the audience, which you must do. And that's another thing. Most of my creativity has to do with just sort of doing it. You know, painting the picture, writing the story. Um, in comedy, you're being graded all the time. And that grading is by the audience. Yeah. And how many comedians have you heard that say, oh, that was a tough audience, nobody could get, get through to them. It's never the audience's fault, ever, ever. When you are on stage and you have a line to deliver as an actress and they don't laugh, it isn't the audience. You did it wrong. Yeah, you looked always. away, you paused in the wrong place, you did it wrong. And until you can take responsibility for that, you haven't mastered the craft. Now, I had a friend, her name was Muriel Goldstein, and she was an exquisite portrait painter. Oh, she was so good. And she said to me, every artist, and by artist, that's all of us. Every artist needs their oo-oo's. And I said, what? You know, by this time, I'm, I'm like 38 or 39 and thinking, what do you mean, oo-oo? She said, no, they do. The first thing is, you do a work of art. You say a monologue. You paint a picture. You sing a song. And you say, ooh. That's just the way I wanted it to be. That's mm. good. But then you need someone else to come up to you and say, Ooh, that was wonderful. I'm getting a lot of those oohs here today, and it's just amazing me with this show. Uh, because it's put together, as I said, by Bill Smith. Let me know when I have to stop here. It was put together by Bill Smith, and he picked his favorites. He has a little bit more extreme idea of who I am than I do. Mm -hmm. I'm. Um, he wanted to dress me in leather. Uh, the <laughs> song that I like best that you're going to hear tonight is uh, the Mirror song that Robert wrote, and he wanted me to do it sitting on a toilet. <laughs> my yeah, my mantra is that I'm no different than anyone else. I just don't say no to life, but I don't have a special talent. Any talent that I have, I've developed. I've developed. It didn't start out as a talent. It started out as an interest. And I just kept doing it uh, until it became uh, an ability. Yeah, and then I noticed myself. Then you hone that ability and you get better and you practice and you fall and you get back up. Yeah. And you, and you listen. You never, the status quo will get you nowhere. And I'll never forget this, this comedian... He had won some kind of prize, and I can see him, but lucky for him, I can't remember his name. He got off the stage, and nobody had laughed. And, and I said, you know, maybe you should try to relate to the audience a little. He said, I don't care whether they like it or not. And I thought, well, what the hell are you up there for? Because the reason that I actually pursued this career was that I took a class in, in stand-up comedy purely by accident. And for the final exam, 
uh, I did a thing about mammograms, mm -hmm. and the audience just cheered, and they were, and I thought, my God, I've never been loved like this in my entire. This is this is the most beautiful kind of love there is. I mean, how old were you then? Seventy-one, seventy-one. It's it's gorgeous. You don't have to cook them dinner. You don't have to change the sheets, and they love you. And, and you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to do anything more. Just thank you, and then you go on to something else and leave them. And it's and 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 it hasn't touched you. It has, but it hasn't. I mean, you, you love affairs. I'm always falling in love, and my heart is always breaking. That's painful. But this. The ones that don't like you walk away. You don't hear. Although I have a friend who says that's not that doesn't happen with black people. She says black people walk you out to the parking lot, and they say to you, "That was disgusting." So <laughs> just <laughs> but it hasn't happened to me. It hasn't yeah. happened to me. Well, you've got twenty-five years to go. Yeah, Let's yeah, see what yeah. happens. I, I hope twenty-five. I hope. I. This is the thing that 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 I really think about a lot. I'm hoping that I have 20, I don't think 25, I'm hoping that I can do this for another 20. I have so much to do. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm, I'm there. I'm better. Because every year I get better. Every day I get better. That's what it's about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I die on my way to a gig. That's what I want. Yeah, I and Hartley course. Kemp at Sea Venues is hoping that I die on stage on my 100th birthday. <laughs> and I'm hoping I do that, too, because then I'll make the Scotsman. <laughs> or maybe just go for that. For the I might even make the London Times. I mean, just, you know, 100th birthday, there I am. Hello, I'll say as I stand up in my Zimmer frame, waving my oxygen tank at the audience, I am 100 years old and then drop dead. Yeah. Exactly, and I and then they can cremate me, <laughs> and cast my ashes out all over the West End. All over the West End. Okay, so they never forget me. No, no, no. And I will be walking through you for yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, on that note, so to wrap up, um, so the show's on from Tuesday eleventh to Saturday twenty second of March, um, and then are uh, you doing Brighton the show? Edinburgh as well. Yes, I'm doing Edinburgh the entire run. I'll be at Sea Venues, I think. Okay. At this point, I'll yeah. be at Sea Venues. We still have a few more days yeah. to jiggle around. Uh, Brighton Festival, I believe it's the 14th. You have to look at Mayo. What I'll do is I'll, I'll pop it off. Um, if people want to get hold of you, is there a website they can get find you? com. So I'll pop those in the show notes if people are just listening so they can go. They can see it. Cool. Uh, you can see all about the show in the Soho Theatre as well. Yeah. well I, what I'll do is I'll get it all down and, and I'll pictures. pop it. Yeah, great pictures. Perfect. That one, that one doesn't do for me. It's this one. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, I always remember your Granny Strip song that you did yeah, one, night, one night, one night at midnight on, a, on, on one of our cabaret goats. So yeah. Thank You'll you. You'll hear that tonight. Oh, I see, well, I see where it's gone on some yeah. years on. <laughs> it's gone on. I bet, it, I bet it's gone amazing. Cool. Thank you, love. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My, uh, you're, you're thinking about, you say, I always sort of say no, I always say yes to life. and Yeah, yeah. but that's it. I don't believe, and I have seen so many teachers squelch these children, and it makes me so angry. Because if they're squelched at home, and they're squelched at school, and their peers make fun of them, because anybody that's different is going to have that. I had it, everybody has it. Uh, if you're different, Children are afraid of differences because they don't understand it. And if you don't have a teacher, a mentor, or a mom, 
And for me, it was my mother's two sisters who thought that I was wonderful. And we continue to do so. Pardon? We continue to think that. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Great. Thank oh, you, love. Lovely. <laughs> That's perfect. Cool. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, which hopefully you did, uh, I'd really appreciate a iTunes rating. Thank you. This is Marisha Trembetska, and I hope whatever you're doing, you're making lots of art, whatever your art might be. Thank you.